title is Go and Teach All Nations. When um, we're baptized, or before we're baptized, at least I was, and I think most of us have been, warned that when you put your hand to the plow to follow Jesus as his disciple, you're not to look back, no matter how rough the plowing might get, because in some cases, the plowing might get very, very rough. It's interesting that when Jesus showed himself to the disciples after his resurrection, he commanded them to do something. He commanded them to go. But he also said some other things and in fact, there's actually three commissions, or one full commission, if you put them all together, in which the disciples are to go to the nations. I'm going to look at those three places. They're in Luke, they're in Mark, and they're in Matthew. Luke, the 24th chapter. Let's go there first. As we see what Jesus told his disciples... And I'm going, to, I'm going to start in verse 36, even though that's not the exact place where I want to focus. But I want to, I want to bring us up to this point. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, see, for a spirit has no flesh and bones as you see me. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and he did eat before them. So here we have a flesh and bone, but no blood. I mean, that's what he said. Person revealed himself to them, and he did eat. He said unto them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Remember, they didn't have any New Testament at that time. All they had and all they were able to, to, to access was what we call the Old Testament. So he opened that up to them to understand. And he said to them, Thus it's written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is a commission that all disciples were to do. That re repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
And he says, you are witnesses of these things. And they were. They were his witnesses. And behold, I send you a promise of my Father upon you. But tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you've been endued with power from on high. In Mark, the 16th chapter, so we look at Mark and his words here. And beginning in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven and, and as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said to them, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Go out, preach this gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not, it says damned, but it means condemned or judged for their unbelief. And these shall shine shall follow you that, uh, that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents. And for them, that was a, what they were able to do. They were, go, they were able to go around, and nothing uh, was able to harm them, and they were able to bring this message. But it's for us also. It's for us because we're his disciples. And in Matthew, the 28th chapter, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. The eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Well, that's a, those are powerful words. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Amen. That's a tall order. <laughs> That's a very tall order. Especially since Go to Genesis, the 11th chapter. God did something a long, long time ago that all of us are very familiar with, which makes it very difficult to go to all the nations of the world. Verse 1, And the whole earth was of one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime that they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city, a tower, whose top may reach into the heavens, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad among the face of the whole earth. And God had told them that that's what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to go and populate and to repopulate the earth to not stay in one place. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So at that particular time, God was not at all pleased that they had come together to build this tower and to make an edifice essentially to Nimrod, and to worship paganism. 
And he said, go, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. And therefore the name of, the, of it is called Babel because the Lord did therefore confound the language of all the earth and from there did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And so if we understand from this that we have all of these languages. But we're commanded, aren't we, to go. The disciples were commanded to go to preach the gospel to all nations, to all of these people with all of these different languages. And it's probably at that time they had the scroll and the Old Testament and they may have had a Greek New Testament called the Septuagint that, that they could access because they were in Roman-occupied territory with some Greek, um, Hellenistic Greek influence in that particular area. Aramaic may have been spoken, um, Latin may have been spoken, but there was this need to go to the world, to go to all men. There was a need for a miracle, wasn't there? Well, God has provided that miracle, and it's interesting that it still exists today. Let's go back to Acts, the second chapter. Well, actually, I want to go to the prophecy first. I want to go to a prophecy in, in Matthew, the 24th chapter. Because along with this, in verse 14, just two, chapter, two verses, two chapters, uh, Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, then shall the end come. So in Christ's prophecy... He prophesies that this gospel at the end time is to be preached to the, all the world. And in Mark, the 13th chapter, we find that not only is it to be preached, but it's also to be published. Mark, the 13th chapter, and verse 10. And this gospel must first be published among all nations, all peoples. And then we understand that that will bring about the end of the kingdom and there's a lot of other things that go into the prophetic things. So, for all of that to happen, we, we, we need this miracle to happen. And so, in Acts, the second chapter, we find that God provides this miracle for those that are there on the day of Pentecost. In verse, um, let's see, let me start with... Um, Chapter 2, verse, verse 5. And I don't know if I gave uh, Brian that number. I don't know, but I think I did. Verse 5? Yes, I did. Okay. And there was dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in his own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, 
dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, and Jews, proselytes, Cretes, and uh, Arbian, Arbians, Arbians, uh, um, Arabians, uh, yes, those two. And we do hear them speak in our language, our tongue, and wonderful works of God. And they were amazed and were in doubt and saying one to another, what means this? It was a miracle that God provided. And it's interesting that in, in um, 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, part of the gifts that are available, maybe not necessarily only to us who have this knowledge, but maybe to others. And I will, there's some very interesting things that we can, we can study here. In verse, um, beginning of verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. There are diversities of uh, operations, but of the same God, which works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit wherewithal. For one is given the Spirit of the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing of the same Spirit. To another were the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to, the, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues or languages. Um, it's always fascinated me that I, I have a hard time with English, and I think I've said that more than once, and that there are those individuals out there that can actually translate languages. They can speak in that language, and they can actually translate from the whatever it is, Greek, Hebrew, whatever, into English, and they can read it as they translate it. It's a gift, brethren. God wants this message published, spoken, whatever, all over the world, however it is done. These are gifts that are given so that that message can be published and printed and given out. My brother-in-law, he's amazing. He can sit with a Greek Bible, reading in the New Testament, he sees these words and he translates and thinks of in in English and Greek at the same time, and I am so amazing, and Hebrew, and then, of course, uh, he, one of the things that he was involved in was um, being able to, to take the spoken language of the Umatilla Indians and the Nez Perce Indians and put, making them into some kind of a, of a dictionary and, and, and a writing, because they had no written language at all. That was only spoken language. And he could sit down with the old... Indians and he could talk to them and they would tell him this and he would write it out. And he could speak that language. Kind of a strange sound, let me tell you, <laughs> when, he, when he was uh, 
a lot of guttural, just you know, all kinds of stuff. But there's, a, there's gifts out there. So those that have that gift are able to look. Have you, any of you seen some of the old manuscripts, old Hebrew manuscripts? I don't know how in the world they ever figured it out. They, they're so difficult to see. This just looks like squiggles. And yet there's so many different ones. When um, one of the most interesting things, and we've shown it here before, and I want to read just a little bit of this, How We Got the Bible by Neil R. Lightfoot. Um, third edition, revised and expanded. It's not very big. But one of the in most interesting stories of the Bible happens to do with William Tyndale. This man had a desire. It was a deep desire. And he was able to see and read Greek and Hebrew and he wanted the common man to have, a, have it. So I'm going, to read, I'm going to read this. I want to just, it's not very long, but it's, it's worth listening to this man's desire to have the Bible in the common man's hand. The true father of the English Bible is William Tyndale. The story of Tyndale and his unrelenting efforts to put the Bible in the hands of the people is a story of triumph mingled with tears. In the year 1511, the monk scholar Erasmus came to Cambridge as professor of Greek. Several years later, young Tyndale also came to Cambridge, probably to study Greek and certainly to study the scriptures more in leisure. Under the influence of his training received at Cambridge and earlier at Oxford, Tyndale's ambition to give to the English people a translation of the Bible based not on Latin, but the original Greek and Hebrew because his chief end um, became his chief end of life. To an opponent, he once said, if God spare my life or many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the scriptures than you doest. He wanted to give it to the common man. Consciously or unconsciously, he was reflecting a similar conviction of Erasmus. I would to God the plowman would sing a text to the scripture at his plow and the weaver at his loom. With this would drive away the uh, tediousness of time. I would that the wayfaring man with the, his, this pastime would excel the weariness of his, of, uh, expel the weariness of his journey. Erasmus had issue in 1516, had issued in 1516 the first printed New Testament in Greek, and Tyndale had set out to translate it. In 1524, Tyndale had to leave England after finding out that there was no place to do it, uh, that is to translate the New Testament in all of England. Isn't that amazing? There was no place to translate it because they were against a translation. Brethren, we see today something going on in our own society. Men can, uh, children can't go to school with a Bible. Can you imagine that in our free, loving society based on Judeo-Christian beliefs that children who would walk into a public school would be told they cannot have that Bible. 
It's almost like we've turned the clock back to the 1500s. The following year in Germany, perhaps in Hamburg, his translation was completed and he sought to have it printed in Cologne. By now, Tyndale's efforts at translation associated him with the reformer Martin Luther, who had recently finished a translation in German. Thus, the many enemies of the Reformation of Luther and of Luther were likewise enemies of Tyndale. Accordingly, Tyndale had to flee from Cologne with the sheets of his partially printed New Testament and or in another German city, Worms, which was uh, disposed favorably to the Reformation, the printing of his New Testament was completed. Early in 1526, the first copies were smuggled into England and bought with enthusiasm. Officials of the Roman Catholic Church condemned the translation. Copies were obtained and burned in public ceremony. Money was subscribed to buy incoming copies. But all this opposition could not wipe out a movement that was making itself felt around the world. Isn't that amazing? God was working through Tyndale to bring the word to the common man. And, they, and Satan was working as hard to get the word away from the common man. In the meantime, Tyndale had taken up his work of translating the Old Testament from Hebrew. By 1530, he had translated and published the Pentateuch. And then came uh, Jonah, a revised Genesis. Uh, then came Jonah, 1531, a revised Genesis in 1534, two additional editions of the New Testament, 1534 to 1535. By now, his translations, although not welcome, were not as violently opposed by official England. And it appeared as though the long-fought contest might turn into his favor. But many Romanists were still determined to stamp out heresy. The Bible, heresy. In 1535, Tyndale was betrayed, Judas-like, and was imprisoned in um, Villevorde Castle near Brussels. In the years previous to his confinement, Tyndale was an, was an exile, hunted man. In 1531, he spoke of his uh, deprivations, my pains, my poverty, my exile out of my natural country, and bitter absence from his friends, my hunger, my thirst, my cold and great danger wherewith I am everywhere com uh, compassed, and innumerable other hard and sharp fightings which I endure. The words were truly an autobiography of his last years. To write a copy of this book that sits on our table was, was an, a, a hardship. Tyndale's sacrifice for this cause has long been appreciated, but it's doubtful that many today know how direct and pervasive in his influence was on the English Bible. It was Tyndale who established its tone that the Bible should not be the language of scholars but in spoken language of the people. Tyndale used the word congregation instead of church, love instead of charity, repentance instead of penance, and so, so forth. He coined such words as Passover, scapegoat, mercy seat, long-suffering. Many expressions of Tyndale also are unforgettable, cherished by countless readers in the English Bible. The kingdom of heaven as a hand, the pinnacle of the temple, the salt of the earth, daily bread, consider the lilies of the field, uh, how they grow, Matthew 6, 28. Meek and lowly in heart, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Shepherds abiding in the field, Luke 2, 2, 8. Eat, drink, and be merry, Luke 
12, 19. Fatted calf, Luke 15, 23. Only begotten son, John 1, 14 and 18. In my Father's house are many mansions, John 14, 2. In whom we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, 28. God forbid, in, in Romans 3, 4. Sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. In the twinkling of an eye, in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Singing and making merry, Ephesians 5, 19. Office of a bishop, 1 Timothy 3, 1. The pleasures of sin for a season, Hebrews 11, 25. An advocate with the Father, 1 John 2, 1. And behold, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation 3, 20. All those words that we're so very familiar with were penned by Tyndale in the 1500s. The above is a short list of quotations from 1534 edition of Tyndale's New Testament, except the spelling has been modernized, of course. If you were to look at a page of the original Tyndale Bible, those things that look like F's were really S's. <laughs> they, um, they had the little crook in them. I was going to have him put one up, but I, um, I kind of forgot that. Maybe later, because I want to I want to bring out how this book was brought about and some of the things that that we we just take for granted. It's it's on our it's it's everywhere, and yet we take it for granted. It came about from a lot of death and sweat and tears and and it's and it's beginning to be so unappreciated in the world. And people are being hated because they believe in the Bible. I've got just a few more words to read here. And then I want to I go to, to a couple of websites that are fairly int very interesting. Tyndale's work was not flawless. Many of his renderings needed the correction made in later translations, but he unquestionably achieved what he sought, a translation that could be understood even by the boy at the plow. His dedication, his good heart, his devotion to his tasks stand out over the centuries. This was well illustrated by several sentences in his pre preface to his 1534 New Testament entitled, W.T. Unto the Reader. Moreover, I take God, which alone sees the heart, to record to my conscience, beseeching him that my part be not in the blood of Christ, if I wrote of all that I have written, though out of all my book, ought of an evil purpose, of envy or malice to any man, or to stir up any false doctrine or opinion in the church of Christ, or to be the author of any sect, or to draw any disciples after me. Also my part be not in Christ if mine heart be not to follow and live according to as I teach. As concerning all that I have translated or otherwise written, I beseech all men to read it for that purpose I wrote it. Uh, for that purpose I wrote it, even to bring them to the knowledge of the Scripture. And as far as the Scripture approves it, so far to allow it, and if any place the Word of God disallowed, there, there to refuse it, as I do before our Savior Christ and His congregation. He was dedicated to the Word of God. Steadfastly standing these principles, unbending to the end, on October morning of 1536, Tyndale went to the stake. He was strangled and burned, crying out, Lord, open the heart 
of the King of England's open the uh, the King of England's eyes. Open the King of England's eyes. Today, and I uh, I hope it's still here. <laughs> I think it is. Uh oh. Oh, come on now. Don't give me a give, give me a problem. I'm trying to bring this up. Um, there is a in Wikipedia. There is a list of all the Bible translations um, that we have, and maybe it's not complete. It probably takes a long time, but just a few Africans. Um, I knew A I N U, Albanian. Alut, the Alutes have a Bible in their language. You know where Alut is? Out on the tip, <laughs> the very tip of Alaska. Amerik, Apache, Arabic, Aramaic, Armenian, Assamese, which is a, a language in, of India, uh, Avar, Azerbaijan, Basque. Baytak, Belarusian, uh, where Elias from, Bengali, Blackfoot, that's the Indian languages, they've been translated into the English languages, Bulgarian, Burmese, I'm not reading all of these, I'm just skipping a bunch, um, Catalan, Cheyenne, Cherokee, Chinese, Choctaw, Comanche, Coptic, Cornish, Cree, Creole, Croatian, uh, Czech, Dakota, Danish, Dutch, Finnish, Filipino, French, German. Um, I'm trying not to pronounce the ones I can't pronounce. <laughs> Haitian Creole, Hawaiian, Hawaiian Pigeon English, of course, Hindu, Hopi, Hungarian, Islamic, um, Igbo, whatever that one is, Leo Kano, Indonesian, you see, the languages are vast, but the desire to translate the Bible is also vast. There are men who desire to have this word in every language in the world. Every language. And it goes on and on. I don't know how many there are. Uh, a, B, C, D, all the way to, to the last one here is uh, Zuni, Zulu, Zuni, out of Africa. Native American languages. Zuni, that's a Native American language. Uh, Yiddish, of course. Exhosa. X-H-O-S-A. Never heard of it. But they have a Bible. They have a Bible translated in that language. Isn't that amazing? God and Jesus Christ have been working to get that word to all the world. And we're a part of it. We're a part of it. Okay, with that comes something else. With that, because in some countries, if you profess, if you say, I am a Christian, and you profess to live that way, even if you don't understand all what we understand, you have a problem, because you could be um, persecuted severely, even lose your life. Here's the nations where... From the highest to the lowest, where persecution is going on. North Korea, Somalia, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Iraq, 
Maldives, Iran, Pakistan, Yemen, Sudan, Eritrea, Libya, Nigeria, Uzbekistan, Central African Republic, Ethiopia, Vietnam, Quetar, or Qatar, or however you pronounce that one, Laos, uh, Turkmenistan, or Turkmenistan, however that one's pronounced, Egypt, Burma, uh, Myanmar, uh, Brunel, Brunei, Oman, Jordan, Colombia, Tunisia, India, Sri Lanka, Mali, Bhutan, Algeria, Palestinian territories. A lot of these are the Islamic, have the Islamic uh, thing in, you know, going on in their countries. So they're, they're against anything that's written in this book. Mauritania, United Arab Emirates, China, Kuwait, Malaysia, Kazakhstan, Bahrain, Kenya, Comoros, Morocco, Tazakistan, uh, the, the, the other one was Kazakhstan, this is Tazakistan, Tania, um, Djibouti, Indonesia, Bangladesh, and Niger, and I'm sure there's other, others, but these are the ones that are listed. And that's quite a list. Where they're persecuted in the world, that's quite a list. So if you pick up the Word of God, and you begin to live that Word of God, you may have to have some persecution to go along with it. Unfortunately, this, this society that we live in today, as I read earlier, you may have persecution here too. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, let's turn to Matthew. The five, Matthew five. Jesus predicted this. He said that we it could come. He said, Blessed are they, verse verse ten, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All of those nations that have believers who like may lose their life. They may not understand everything that we understand. But they're standing up because they have a Bible in their hand and they believe what that Bible says. And they're living it to the best of their ability and they're being persecuted even to death. We understand that. Or imprisonment. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. They are blessed, brethren. Matthew, the 24th chapter. We understand all of these. We, we see all of these. We know that the day is coming when we may have to face the same things. In Matthew 24, 8 through 12, beginning of verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And he goes through all of these different things that uh, in, in kingdom against kingdom, wars and, and different places and all kinds of things going on in the world. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and, shall, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and they shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We see that happening in our own society, in our own nation. 
and it disturbs each and every one of us, I know, that we see that, especially those of us who are older and, and remember when the, when, diff, when the times were a little bit different. In two verses here, 21 and uh, 22, Then shall there be great tribulation, such as was not from the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved, but that the elect sake, those days shall be shortened. There's coming a time upon this earth in which there is going to be things that we that no man has seen. And it's interesting how today, even today, it seems like there's an insanity in the world. I don't know if you've noticed, but people killing one another, killing each other, then destroying themselves and killing themselves. It's it's like there's some kind of insanity in the in this world. And especially in the United States, and I don't know whether it's just the pre prevalence of drugs or, or what's going on, or whether Satan is really trying to, 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 to foment uh, this because he hates us so much. He hates those that believe in this word so much that he wants to destroy this nation. We can understand, I think, from what the scriptures say about the end time. Verse 36 but that day or hour knows no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. It's going to come a time in which this is going to get so bad, but there's going to be an intervention. He says, but as in the days of Noah, so shall the days of the coming of some man be. For in those days uh, that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came that took them all away so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. It is like we have a, we're just kind of uh, blinded in this nation to the, to the immorality that is going on in the nation. We hate the Bible. We're getting to be, a, uh, in, uh, except for those that believe in it, they're beginning to be Bible haters and Christian haters. Homophobics. They call us all kinds of things. Yet all we do is believe the Bible. As Tyndale wanted to publish that Bible. And there was haters because he wanted to publish the truth. There is a day coming, though. There is a day coming when all this is going to end, all the, the, the tribulation and trials and, and tests when Christ returns, sets up the kingdom on this earth. I always like to live... Uh, leave my message on a positive note because we live in such a society in which sometimes positive is um, it's just not there. In Micah, the fourth chapter, and I might just read it off the back. Yeah, it comes out here. Micah, the fourth chapter, beginning of verse 1. In the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the Lord, house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow into it. Many nations shall come and shall say, Come and let us go up to the house of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We read it, and we read it, and we read over it, and I hope and pray for that day. I look forward to that day when I can walk and be a part of that. 
when we can teach this truth to all men and there won't be opposition. Today we have, and it's getting worse instead of better, today we have opposition to the Word of God. Today children can't take a Bible to school, to public schools. They are, and, and, and in some places the Bible is looked on as a, as a bad thing. And of course there's a lot of persecution around the world and it hasn't happened as much here yet, but it will. We can see that being happening. But the day is coming. The day is coming when that law, that truth, that word will be a part of the whole society. There'll be no one that will be ignorant of the word of God. And he shall judge them in the people and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. We have to learn war today, don't we? We're already learning the, the bad lesson of <clears throat> leaving um, a country that has a, a, um, a problem with terrorists. We leave that into their hands. The terrorists will take over. We thought we had a job done, didn't we? And uh, now it's, it's showing that we won't. But I look forward to that day when there will not be any more war and people won't have to learn war. And they won't have to learn how to be warriors. And they won't have to learn how to die. And it's coming into the kingdom of God. They're going to beat all of their swords, all of their spears into pruning And nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn it. But they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Amen.